0: Thanks, uh, thanks, John. We'll be hearing uh, from others in the uh, weeks to come, as always. One uh, uh, one day recently, uh, somewhat recently, maybe a couple months ago, got an email from John asking for prayer because he was uh, wondering if he should get an annual pass to Disney World. <laughs> so he did. And, but ultimately, he said the reason why is because I have a lot of friends who don't know Jesus, and uh, they like going to Disney. And I want to be able to, to go with them, building relationships in order that they might come to know uh, the Jesus that I've come to know in a personal way over the past, uh, over the past uh, few months. So um, praise God for that and the work that God's doing. I'll continue to pray for John as well as uh, you know, if you haven't gotten yet plugged into a house church, then would encourage you to do so. Our guest speaker today uh, is a joy, privilege for me to be able to introduce him. His, uh, mar- his name is Pastor Ray Chang. He's married to Sunju, and together they have twin daughters. Kristen and Carissa. Um, he is here by himself, though. Uh, he's the pastor at Ambassador Church in Southern California. Uh, it's a church planting uh, movement. They're, they're planting uh, uh, different churches. Um, he graduated, uh, his undergraduate, from Biola University, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And then he got uh, his master's degrees from Talbot Seminary and Dallas Theological Seminary. So two masters. He's a double master. And he just recently became a doctor. Uh, he got his doctorate from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. A lot of our friends, um, a lot of our friends that have come through here, have spoken here, have uh, gotten their degrees from Trinity as well. Um, he is um, did after seminary. He uh, did his internship under the teaching uh, at First Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton, California, uh, where uh, Chuck Swindoll was the pastor and. Um, heavily influenced by him, I'm, I'm sure. And then after uh, words, after a few years, he went back there. But where um, I know Pastor Ray from is that he was uh, actually one of my first English ministry pastors at my home church in Virginia, the Korean Central Presbyterian Church English Ministry in uh, Vienna, Virginia, from 1993 to 1996 when I was a high school junior and senior to my first two years in college. Um, I didn't directly sit under his teaching on a regular weekly basis, but whenever I would go home on breaks, uh, I would hear Pastor Ray preach. This is a church now that uh, our former worship pastor, Albert Young, is serving at. Um, And he, uh, after his time at KCPC, went and planted a church uh, called Ambassador Church in the Northern Virginia area before going back out to California. So for me, um, it's been about 20 years since I heard Pastor Ray preached the word, and so I'm excited, and I'm eager, Uh, and for the rest of us, for all of us, this will be the last time, last Sunday, uh, that we hear the word of God. So with eagerness and with hunger, uh, let's open our hearts and minds and ears as we welcome Pastor Ray to share the word with us.
1: Should I just say here? Pastor D.L., thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to be here. I actually was invited uh, to speak at a youth conference called K Flower, uh, in, uh near Gainesville. And so I'll be there starting tonight. But uh, I asked uh, Pastor D.L. if um, I could actually just come and worship here. And uh, he said, why don't you instead of worshiping, why don't you just come in and teach? So that's why I'm here at his invitation. I'm not sure if he didn't have time to prepare a message, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you for letting me be a part of this. Um, I'm excited uh, to share with you. This message that I, I am going to share is something that is really important to my heart. It's uh, about the kingdom of God. So let me lead us in a word of prayer together, and, uh, and we'll begin our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of sitting together with other believers who are called by your name, that we can sit together, Father, under the audience of one, that we are worshiping you, but through our worship of you, you then share with us the most important revelation, the gospel. And that gospel that is planted in our hearts is, is what causes the movement of God, the kingdom of God to expand. So I pray, Father, that today, as we sit and listen, that you would spark in our hearts and our minds a, a, a deeper sense of love for you, a calling for, for what you are doing, and that we, as, as believers, can move forward in expanding your kingdom. So thank you again, Father, for the privilege of of being together, and we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Now, one of the things that I want to share with you today, we're going to look at, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13, and one of the things that we want to share is a simple illustration of what Jesus gives. And this chapter that we find in in chapter 13, which I'll, I'll talk about in a few moments, deals with What Jesus calls parables and and we're going to deal with two of those parables But before we begin with the parable uh, that, That we're going to be studying. It's important as we look at life and we look at ourselves in the midst of life That we often are faced with limitations I'm, not sure if you think of yourselves in any kind of a limiting way, but I think everyone here We look at ourselves and we say man. I wish I can do something and oftentimes the things that we can't do is because of the limitations that we face. And whether that limitation be one of maybe intellectual, like I, mean, I wish I was smarter, or maybe even physical, I wish I can do something that LeBron James or some of these other athletes can do. And we're limited oftentimes, and those limitations oftentimes are the things that keep us from moving forward in life. And oftentimes those limitations become the excuse for us not doing things. And even from a spiritual perspective, I think limitations can be an excuse in saying, God, uh, I can't be used by you, or I can't do these things for you. Well, limitations are things that we all have. Now, the question is, what do we do with those limitations, and how do we see those limitations? Well, I, I read a story a- about a young student one day, and he happened to be a, a young judo uh, um, student, and he wanted to be the best judo uh uh, person that he can be, and he went to a judo master, and, 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 and he would work individually with this young boy, but this young boy was involved in a car accident. A 10-year-old boy was involved in a car accident, and his left arm in that accident had to be amputated. In other words, the very thing that he needed to use as a young judo, um, aspiring judo, um, what do you call that? I don't know, a judo, hmm? judo. Somebody, <laughs> a judo guy. So anyway, he so he wanted to do that. And, and 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 as a result of that accident, his left arm had to be amputated. So this judo master, uh, but this boy wanted to continue. And so he went to the judo master and said, could I please continue? And the judo master gave him one stipulation. He says, I'll let you continue. But if you continue, you have to do what I tell you to do. And you have to practice what I tell you to practice. Because the judo master knew that this, this boy... Because of his one arm, it was seriously hampered in, in what he can do. So this little boy complained. He wanted to learn everything that other uh, young uh, people in training would, would learn. But the old master insisted, you got to do what I tell you. to." So every single day, day after day, week after week, month after month, this little boy practiced this one difficult move. Eventually, this little one-armed boy was allowed to enter a t- uh, judo tournament. And to everybody's surprise, this little boy started to actually win in the tournament. Well, you know, it's like one of those uh, feel-good stories where you have somebody who you think is not going to be able to accomplish much, and he goes all the way to the very top. Well, the final match in this judo match was against the person who had probably the most, uh, uh, the, the reputation of, 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 of being the best Uh, judo guy and so the boy everybody said okay this is the end of the feel-good story this boy's going to end his tournament and everybody's going to clap and all that well as they were doing their match the 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 guy who was supposed to win the master uh put him in a in an interesting situation and and, and, in this one lapse of judgment the young boy with one arm was able to do the unique maneuver that he had been practicing and he was able to put the other guy into submission. And as a result of that, this little one-armed boy won. And everybody rose to their feet. They started clapping. They couldn't believe that this little one-armed judo boy uh, would actually win the tournament. There was nothing the opponent could do to escape. Well, at the end of the conference uh, or at the tournament, they asked the master why he won. And they, they say this. He won for two reasons. First... He has mastered one of the most difficult moves of all of judo. And secondly, the only defense against this move is to get your opponent's left arm. Now, think about this. The very limitation that he didn't have was the very thing that actually allowed him to win and succeed. You see, oftentimes I think about even us as, as Christians, as we are closing off the 20 uh, year 2014 is if we look from a global and corporate perspective. And what we see oftentimes as Christians is limitations, limitations in terms of our expansion of our faith, limitations, even in terms of the opposition that we feel. You know, one of the challenging things about being a Christian in America in 2014, approaching 2015, is that Christianity from a popular cultural perspective is not looked upon as something that is favorable. Many of you and are, are, youth in college are, are entering into a world that is hostile toward the gospel. And not only is it hostile toward the gospel, it's hostile, a hostile toward the things that we even think about in terms of you and our worldview. And as a result of that, oftentimes we see that as a limitation. And, and what happens to many Christians is that they begin to sort of either retreat or in, in some cases even move away. Another Christian faith. Well, you know, it's not only what's happening here in the U.S. with cultural issues that all of us are familiar with. It's happening even worldwide. A recent uh, Christianity Today article talked about that one of the greatest challenges for Christians living in, in, in the world, that, that we think about the greatest source of outrage, he says, is not necessarily just some of the things, you know, the, the terrorism that's going on. He says the greatest sense of outrage are the persecutions that are taking place all across the world. If you look at Christianity, that globally, you look at what's happening currently in Iraq and Afghanistan, and you look at what Christianity in in China, that Christians, this may may surprise some of you, but Christians are the most persecuted group in the world. There are 133 uh, Christians who die for their faith every month. And as a result of that, we are living in a world that is not only hostile toward Christians here in America, globally, there's hostility everywhere. And the other part that's that's challenging for us as Christians is that our influence is waning. Um, I was recently in Korea this past summer, and I'll be in Korea again next week. I'll be preaching at a conference, and one of the things that they're, they're really, for me, as a Korean American, I came to America Back in the '70s, and I came as a little boy, and so my view of Korea was always one in which spiritual revival was taking place. People were waking up early in the morning, and, and, and people were are, are praying, and and you you could see. And I, I remember as a little boy, I actually went to Korea, and I, the first thing I remember as a little boy is when I landed in, in Seoul Gimpo Airport back then. Um, I saw all these little red crosses everywhere. I mean, it was amazing. All the buildings had little red crosses. Well. Fast forward to 2014, this past summer, I went on my sabbatical. I took my wife and my two daughters. I could hardly find a cross. It was amazing. And and D.A. Carson recently, in an article, posted about how Christianity in in Korea is on the rapid decline. In other words, um, I was talking to a mission pastor of one of the large Korean churches. He said about 20 years ago, I'm sorry, he said about 10 years ago that about 20%, 23% of Koreans in Korea were self-identifying themselves as Christians. He says in a local campus ministry, they looked at how many students are actually uh, self-identifying, less than 4%. What's happening globally is, is surprising. And so, so what is the task for us? Does that mean that Christianity is ineffective and it, it's not doing what it's called to do? And I really realize it's, it's not the, re, uh, the reality of Christians for us as believers, it's not us that God has called us to do something that is, I think, different. Our view of Christianity, I think, oftentimes is hindered by the influence of society and morality. And so what I want to talk about is the gospel itself and about the expansion of God's kingdom. So let's turn our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 13. The power of the gospel, despite all these limitations that we face, how can we expand the gospel around us? And in this chapter... Jesus begins to share a bunch of stories. I I love parables because what parables do are basically spiritual truths uh, described and illustrated by a simple fact of life. So Jesus, uh, in chapter 13, begins to sort of share parables about what this future kingdom looks like in terms of uh, the way I'm defining kingdom is God's influence and God's rule on earth. And as Jesus is describing this future kingdom, he begins to talk about the different elements of the kingdom. And in chapter 13, he begins to talk about the parable about the sower and the seeds. He says that the response of the people when the gospel is is, is shared is going to be varied. There's going to be some who respond with with great joy, and there's going to be others who basically are like hard cement that you put the seed there, the birds are going to go pick it up. And so the first parable he talks about, sort of the people's response. And then in the second parable, the parable about the weeds, Jesus describes the, the rapid growth of God's kingdom will also accompany by the rapid growth of weeds. Here's, well, excuse me, here's one of the challenges of, of, of the gospel is this. As the gospel is growing, so is the kingdom of, of darkness. And so the weeds continually to spread. And so Jesus uh, talks to the disciples about that. But here's the third parable which i love and and i want to just kind of camp on this it's actually two parables together and i want to just apply two points that will help you think about this year as well as think about the next year and it's about god's kingdom so in verse 31 he says this he told him another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field though it is the smallest of, of all seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them there's still another parable. kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed large amounts of flour until it worked its way through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in the, in the parables, and he did not say anything to them without using parables. So this was fulfilled, what was spoken through the prophet. I will open up my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, hidden since the creation of the world. So when Jesus spoke in parables, he was revealing something about the nature of his rule and reign, the kingdom of God. And so what is the lesson that Jesus is teaching us here? And I think this is the thing that is encouraging as we think about the world around us. Oftentimes we feel so limited as Christians. Well, here's the the first principle is this, that our greatest impact will happen through a chain reaction of the smallest act, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about the parable about the mustard seed. The mustard seed was the smallest uh, seed that a farmer would plant. Do you want to to know how small a mustard seed is? Uh, I I preached a a message uh, on this before at our church and actually gave every single person in our church a mustard seed. So we passed out a little bu- uh, a little basket with all the mustard, and it is one of the smallest little seeds that you can imagine. But here's the thing that that is is always uh, striking for me is the potential of this mustard seed to grow. You know what a mustard seed looks like after it's been planted. This is what the mustard tree looks like. Let's now here's the principle. Oftentimes, Jesus uses an illustration to talk about its expansion. And, and, and Jesus, oftentimes, in terms of, of quantity, in terms of, even in terms of our faith, and he compares it to a mustard seed. And the important lesson here in the mustard seed is this, is the potential of the seed to grow. I think for many of us, what we fail to recognize that it is not us solely, that changes the world it's not people and and by the name it's it's the seed it's the gospel it's christ and his work on the cross that ultimately changes and what happens is that when that seed gets planted in the hearts and minds of people like us who transforms us as second corinthians chapter five says that we become new creation and out of that process of of transformation comes the unleashing of the gospel and transformation see i'm My encouragement comes, not necessarily in in looking at all the decline and the persecution. Oftentimes, I look at these things not as a liability or a limitation. Oftentimes, I see that as a way in which God is actually working. You know, one of the most dangerous things for Christians is when there's a society of of wealth, materialism, and comfort. Because our, our reliance shifts from God himself to the things that we possess. One of the problems, you know, as I was talking to one of my friends who, in Korea, says the biggest challenge of Christianity is not Buddhism. It's not even secularism. The biggest challenge of Christianity is oftentimes materialism. Because what Jesus says is simply this, that you cannot have two gods. And the, the, the God that Jesus compares most often, right, he says you cannot worship God or money, right? you got to choose. You can't worship both. And oftentimes for people... It's it's where we find our greatest security that becomes our idol. And so in this parable, Jesus begins, as he's sitting down and and, and instructing his disciples, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, that Jesus' rule and reign is like a small mustard seed, which is planted. And though it's small in influence, though it's limited in its scope, that it has the potential when it grows. Here in this verse, Jesus is using the, the ultimate illustration of this garden tree that, that becomes a place in which the birds of the air come and perch. In, in other words, this is an allusion to the Old Testament idea that ultimately the kingdom of God will expand to all the nations. I believe that the greatest challenge for us as Christians is not the things that the world does to us. But the greatest challenge of Christians is, is, is ourselves, is, is not taking the gospel, the seed of the gospel, i planting deep in our hearts. And here's the thing about what happens, that gospel influence is like a domino. It is what happens here, the smallest act can reap the greatest reward. You know, when I think about this, oftentimes, you know, when we look at our lives, we, we feel like, how can God even use what I do here at, at your job? or in your school, or all those other places. And here's the good news, is that everywhere you are becomes a chain reaction in which the gospel can work. You know, we see what's happening in the world around us, and I think oftentimes what has happened is that Christians have sort of of retreated into their little fortress and have not permeated and penetrated culture because we don't see our work in our life having any type of impact for the greater kingdom growth. Uh, in 1961, a uh, MIT um, meteorologist named Edward Lorenz ran a routine experiment. And in this experiment, he found some, some interesting results. And so he discovered that seemingly tiny and insignificant changes in his data could produce differences in the final result. Okay? So, so as, as a scientist, he's kind of studying cause and effect. And Lorenz and the other scientists developed this theory called the chaos theory. And the title of the stereo was called, The Sensitive Dependence on Initial Data. Well, he changed the title later and wrote a book. He called it The Butterfly Effect. Now, what does the butterfly effect do? Well, in 1972, he presented the scientific uh, paper. And, it, and the title of his paper was, Predictability. Does a flap of a butterfly's wing in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? Now, you think, well, what a crazy idea, right? Does a butterfly flapping in Brazil cause a tornado in Texas? And his theory said, it kind of does. A butterfly's wing flapping doesn't actually cause the tornado, but it can start a chain reaction leading to a giant change in worldwide patterns. In other words, even tiny, insignificant movements or actions can produce changes that affect millions of people. And here's the good news about the gospel. As we see all these things happening around us, the world around us, that maybe what God is causing in us is a new chain reaction. That each one of us in, in our lives can become an agent in which our, the change that happens can become a chain reaction to other things happening. And maybe this church, this group, this ministry can become that cause. And I, as I think about that, you know, how often Christianity grows. And what's so significant about the Christian growth is that if you look at it from a sociological historic perspective, Rodney Stark in his book called The Rise of Christianity describes sort of this kind of crazy phenomenon that took place in the first century. How did a Jewish carpenter had a, maybe a three-year itinerant ministry? Take 12 men, disciple them, 11, one dropped out, 11 succeeded, and how were they able to transform the known Western world? If you think about it from a sociological historical perspective, from outside of the supernatural realm, it it, it is a phenomenal thing, isn't it? But the key element in all that was the message, and uh, it was who Jesus was. And that seed of that gospel was planted in the hearts and minds of people who were ready to go out on a revolution. And these people, these men and women, were willing to die for this message. And so this message spread from a small place in Jerusalem, (coughs) Galilee area, Israel, spread to Turkey, to Asia Minor eventually spread to Rome and out of Rome spread to to Western Europe as well as eventually America. One of the interesting byproducts of this is that this is also a byproduct of what happened in Korea. If you think about the domino effect, that oftentimes (coughs) God doesn't need a big thing to cause a revival. Oftentimes It's the spark of one small thing. And I think that's the lesson for us as we look at the gospel. Is that a person whose life has been transformed by the gospel can all become the means by which transformation takes place. Richard Stearns, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) he's a president of World Vision. He talks about interesting thing about dominoes he says this have you ever how many of you have ever played with dominoes have you ever lined it up and, and, and you click on one what happens to the other dominoes it begins to fall right how many of you know a gentleman named robert wilder okay <laughs> nobody in this room would know <coughs> do you have any water <coughs> sorry <coughs> if uh okay uh Robert Wilder. Oh, thank you. You are a gracious. This is one of the most hospitable churches I've been to. Thank you. So Robert Wilder was a missionary kid. He grew up in India and his vocation, his life's dream was to be a missionary. And he grew up with that vision and he wanted to be a missionary and, and spread the gospel. And one day, As he was preparing for the mission field, he got sick, and he was unable to go to the mission field. So Robert Wilder decided, if I can't go, I'm going to be a catalyst for people to go. So he would go to all these college campuses to have them sign a covenant, and the covenant was a pledge that people would go overseas to dedicate their life on mission. During one of his trips, uh, he was in Chicago, and he spoke at a college, and there was a young man named Samuel Moffat. Samuel Moffat heard uh, this message, and he signed Robert's pledge. And two years later, Samuel Moffat decided to go into this obscure little country in East Asia, in which this country was still developing, but which was a very pagan and and Buddhist country. Samuel Moffat decided to go to a little country called Korea. He went, and and, and he met a, a man who was a man named Kil Soon-Chu. And Kil Soon-Chu trusted Christ. And another domino fell. Well, out of that person became a movement that took place. And in history, in 1907, they call it the Pyongyang Revival. Most people don't know this, but the gospel started in Korea, in, in currently what we call uh, North Korea. Spontaneous prayer broke out. There there was an outburst of of confession of sin, and thousands of dominoes fell. Well, many years later, in 1935, when when, Sun died, 5,000 people attended his funeral. Well, Korea now numbers over 15 million. It's the second largest mission-sending country in the world. But here's the beautiful thing about the story. Many of you are the byproducts, the dominoes. That happened as a result. Some of your parents trusted Christ in Korea, and, and others of you trusted Christ here. And, and, and as Korean Americans, we look back. How did the movement begin? It didn't begin with a large crusade happening. It began with one man, Robert Wilder, who said, "I can't go, but I'm going to send somebody else." Here's the good news of the gospel: is this that no matter what the world is doing and, and happening that oftentimes the way in which God resets and reboots it's like watching a Batman have you ever watched the old Batman series it's like the worst thing right <laughs> it gets progressively worse <coughs> I remember watching um, George Clooney I play Batman and I said it can't get any worse than this so and then you know we have a, a director come and he said you know what I'm going to ho- reboot the whole series and as a result of that, you have the dark night series. I think about the same thing, that, you know, oftentimes persecution and challenges to the gospel is God's refining process for the church. That it's not necessarily a bad thing as, as numbers are decreasing. What God oftentimes does is, is he purifies his body. But because here lies the secret. The secret of the gospel is not us. The secret of the gospel is the seed in which God plants in us that transforms us. It's the understanding of who Jesus did is and what he has done and his work on the cross. And the message of salvation transforms individuals, transforms a nation. Alan Hirsch, who's a missiologist from Australia, made a very profound statement at a conference one day. He said this. Imagine. We're living in a society, sort of a dystopian society in which everybody has renounced their faith except for one elderly woman who's 80 years old. And this is the only woman who's kept the faith. Imagine a society where everybody has rejected God. But the profound statement he made is inside that woman is the seed of revolution. Because the message that she bears is one that is reproducible is one that can multiply and expand. And the point of this parable is simply this, that Jesus' kingdom ultimately wins. Amen? Isn't it interesting how, when we look at the end, how it changes the, the present? I'll, I'll give you a story. Uh, it's a true story, by the way. Uh, in California, a long time ago, there was a great basketball team called the Lakers. They used to exist. <laughs> now, I'm an L.A. guy, so as I look at the Lakers now, it's like, oh, it's it's like um, watching, you know, one of, one of the other teams, right? Well, I remember during the Lakers uh, finals years, uh, you know, every year they would go to the finals. And I remember it was game seven. That uh, day I didn't, I wasn't able to watch the game because I was on a plane trip. I was traveling. And I remember sitting on the plane and I had recorded the DVD or uh, uh, not DVD, uh, uh, DR, uh, what is it called? Uh DVR, okay. So I recorded the DVR. And so I had my TiVo, and I was like, I can't wait to watch the game. Okay? And as, as the plane was landing in LAX, the pilot over the loudspeaker says, the Lakers have just won the championship. And I had recorded this. I wanted to watch this. And it's like, oh, he gave it away. Don't you hate it when somebody gives away the spoiler? Well, as soon as I, I went home, I decided to watch it again. I okay, just wanted to relive everything. And I came to a point in the fourth quarter, uh, there was a guy who was a, a point guard named Derek Fisher. He was, he was making these shots, and they, then he started missing. And I said, in my mind, I was thinking, the Lakers are going to lose. The Lakers are going to lose. Even though in the back of my mind, I knew that ultimately they won. And then I, I came to a point and said, you know what? The Lakers eventually win. Because that's what the outcome was. And here's where the good news of the gospel is that Jesus ultimately wins. You look at the book of Revelation and the story's already been written. And no matter how discouraging and how difficult life becomes, here is the good news. That Jesus wins. And you guys are on the winning team. But you know what God Jesus does during the time is that he uses his followers, his disciples, takes that seed of the gospel that plants it in the hearts of men and women. And that, agent becomes the one in which the gospel permeates so the second parable is is just as critical jesus not only talks about the smallness of 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 the sea that expands he then talks about the way in which the kingdom of god expands and he says in verse 33 told them still another parable the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour worked it all the way through the dough now, what is Jesus talking about? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a cook. So, so I, I just, you know, I to talked to my wife about how, you know, how people make dough, in the, in the, uh, especially in those ages, is they took a dough uh, and they took a uh, part of, a, I guess, the yeast of, uh, of another dough, and they would mix it in. And, and once they, it starts to ferment, they take the, that little piece. They keep on saving these little pieces of yeast. What happens, though, is when the yeast goes into the dough, what happens? It starts to permeate. It starts to rise. And so Jesus is making the point is that the kingdom of heaven is like that. That each of us serve as that little piece of dough. And here's the good news of the gospel is that our greatest impact happens by the willingness to let our lives permeate the gospel in everyday life. The good news is is this that each and every one of you is a missionary? Now, oftentimes we give the false message, and I sometimes do this. Um, is that you know the ones who are and I kind of grew up with this too. I, that the ones who are most spiritual go into seminary, or and if you're really spiritual, you become a missionary. You know, you, you go to Egypt or you go to some of these other you know hard to reach places. And, and and sometimes we sort of minimize the role of everyone here. But the greatest impact of the gospel did not happen because a guy had an MDiv a seminary, and Jesus sort of said, okay, here's your degree. You go and and preach to a, a group of people. The greatest impact of the gospel happened when accountants, when students, when doctors live the gospel in their everyday life. You know, I'm surprised at the rapid growth of Christianity in the first century And actually, Christianity is actually not on the decrease. It's actually increasing with the rise of persecution. You know uh, where there are more Christians than in the U.S. now? This may surprise you. China, communist China, has more Christians than the United States now. Christianity is rapidly growing so quickly in Asia. It it, it is phenomenal. And here's the thing. The gospel will always expand because Jesus' presence and mission Is to expand. But let me close it up by saying this. That it doesn't take a big church. It doesn't take a lot of resources. What it takes is men and women, boys and girls, who are willing to say, simple prayer, God, use me for whatever purpose you have. Seeing the context of your life as the mission field and seeing what you do and the training that you have as an opportunity, as the training for you to go forth. You know, as I look back in my life, I see one of the greatest groups of people that I ministered to was a small church in Michigan. I, I tell the story, it's, it's a pretty remarkable story. Um, when I was about 22, 23 years old, I was invited to speak at this revival uh, in, in, in Michigan. It was a Korean church, Korean-American church. And so the pastor had sort of said, hey, we're, we have this youth group, and we want you to come and preach a revival service. And I said, okay, uh, God, are you calling me to come? So I asked them the question, uh, could I bring uh, my praise team with me? And they said, oh, of course you can bring your praise team. So, so me and my a bunch of friends flew out to Michigan at the small Korean church, I was expecting maybe like 30, 40, 50 um, youth kids. When I got there, it wasn't actually a youth group. It was like third graders all the way to like ninth graders. So it was a real, and it was only 11 people. <laughs> so imagine me coming in. And so, so I, I, I did the, the the pastor thing. I, did, I, I spoke and, 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 you know, the kids cried. And every night they trusted Christ, right? <laughs> they went down the aisle. They trusted. So they must have been saved a 100 times that week. And I, I remember um, I got on the plane. They gave me my, my, uh, an envelope. And, and pastors often get like, what they call an honorarium. And I opened it up, and it was an honorarium for $1,000. And I said, wow, this is way too much. <laughs> so as soon as I landed, I did something that God had stirred in my heart. I said, go tell that church that you want to volunteer and help their youth kids. They didn't have a youth pastor. So that summer. I called them up and I said, um, you guys paid me way too much for what I did. So, but you know what? It's not just important just speaking a message. I really want to see if I can work with your kids. And you don't have to pay me. Just give me a place to live, and I'll work with your kids. Well, they took my, uh, they took my um, suggestion, and they flew me out. For three months, I spent time with those kids. Most of them were junior high school kids. started working with them, discipling them. That winter, I, I, I brought a bunch of college students from UC San Diego, where I was at, and they came and ministered to these kids. And every year, for three, four years, I would minister to small little youth group. And a remarkable thing began to happen in that year. That these kids began to not only trust Christ, but, but to live as if Christ was real. Their lives were being transformed. People around them were being transformed. Well, fast forward 20, 30 years later. Out of that little youth group of about 11, 12 kids, uh, and and it began to grow that most of those kids are are involved in some sort of ministry, full-time ministry. And it was remarkable to me that that the small little church in Rochester Hills, Michigan, was becoming a a, a catalyst for God's kingdom expanding. Well, one of the girls there called me up this past summer. Her name is Amy. Now she's in her mid-30s. And Amy said, you know, I've been a school teacher for, for many years, but I want to live my life on mission for God. I don't know what to do. And I said to her, I said, I, I'm starting a new uh, ministry to plant churches all across the U.S., all across the world for Asian Americans. I need somebody to help me. So she did something that, that would seem foolish. <laughs> she started raising her own support, and, and, and now she's living in Southern California working with us. And, I, and we recount that story of how a simple message of the gospel became such a powerful force to transform that little church. But through that little church was able to transform so many people. Well, here's the good news for you. guys: you know, This church is called Harvest. And imagine every single one of you are the seed in which the gospel comes from. Imagine what 2015 will look like in the state of Florida. But not only in the state of Florida, what if, what if the seeds that are being planted here and the yeast that is being developed goes into other parts of the U.S.? Some of you are going to go to college. And what if somehow this church becomes or Samuel Moffat's little church in North Korea? So that's my prayer for you guys. That's my prayer that the seed and the power of the gospel would begin right here. Father God, my heart is stirred to know that that we ourselves are not simply the agent of change. But it is the message and the power of the gospel that transforms us. And if there's some in this room that have never given their life to Jesus, never let the seed be planted in their hearts, I pray that today would be a day in which sin would would bring conviction that, that we have fallen ourselves from you because we're born with this nature that is in opposition to you. And it's because of what Jesus did upon that cross and our realization and acceptance of the work of Jesus in our hearts that that becomes the gospel, the seed that gets planted. And I pray, Lord, that seed that is being planted in the hearts of men and women here would become the agent of change transformation for the world no matter how limited we we, we are in, 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 in our ability that oftentimes it is not just the bigness of our church that matters but it's the commitment of the individual so stir in our hearts Lord a passion for you stir in our hearts Lord a passion to see things happen and may we be part of that domino maybe our job is just to knock the next domino over and to see this chain reaction in which the small c becomes this. Amazing.